Hey, Rockheads, it's time for NDC Oslo again, June 15th through 19th in Oslo, Norway. Richard and I will be there, of course, as well as all your favorite speakers. World-class stuff here, folks. NDC-Oslo.com. We'll see you there. .NET Rocks, episode 1151, with guest David Rail. Recorded Friday, May 29th, 2015. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Uh, David Rail is here. We're going to be talking to him in a bit about DDD. Uh, it's going to be a great show. But first, Richard, you know, we have these iconic phrases that have come out of .NET Rocks that people repeat to us or, oh, I don't know, put them on T-shirts. <laughs> yes. So in my Better Know framework today addresses that situation. So let's just roll the music. <laughs> All right, buddy, what do you got? Tinyurl.com slash golf clap for you, sir. Oh, no. You've done it? Well, I didn't do it, but someone has. Uh, it turns out that Peter Boyal mentioned this on Twitter, and uh, he's created a Cafe Press shirt that says golf clap for you, sir, with a little nice. golf clap. And uh, good good for him. If you can make some money on it, even better. But, you know, it's Cafe Press, so you probably won't make too much money on it. <laughs> <laughs> Ask me how I know. <laughs> Just sort of the truth. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're super convenient, like they, in terms of just really easy for us to ship up mugs and stuff through them. Right. But uh, we often pay more for shipping than we do for the mug. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, uh, $28 or so for a mug to send a mug every time just gets kind of expensive we we brought that in house uh, yeah at least for the domestic stuff yeah for the domestic stuff exactly yep for the hard ones you can leave cafe like when we had to ship that mug to algeria and i'm super proud that we had a comment from a guy in, in algeria yeah you don't want to figure that out no. <laughs> there's people for that yeah exactly <laughs> and let me tell you that was more than 28 bucks too it was <laughs> algeria is not cheap this is how much we love our fans yes doesn't matter where you are in the world, we will try and get a mug there. It yep. doesn't always work, but we try. They're all over the world now. I wonder how many mugs we've got out there. Hundreds and hundreds. Yeah, yeah hundreds and hundreds. All right. Well, anyway, that's what I got. Cool. com slash golf clap for you, sir. Love it. Who's talking to us today, Richard? Uh, grabbed a comment off of show 1023, the one we did with Julie Lerman and Stephen Smith when we were talking about DDD. And uh, I think might have inspired some of this show, too. And this comment comes from Stephen Pina, who says... Uh, a question came up about CSLA and DDD, right? CSLA is Rocky's framework. Mm -hmm. What Julie stated was partially correct. She said that CSLA was tightly bound to how they get data, and you, Carl, clarified and said that that was abstracted, which was also partly true. CSLA can support an abstraction, but the objects would still be bound to that abstraction in the sense that they are aware and consume the abstraction. Mm. This is contrary to domain design principles and the and the factory and repository patterns. In CSLA, you end up with methods such as fetch and update and delete that are responsible for interacting with the DAL abstraction. Similarly, you have a static factory methods that are responsible for creation. So in effect, the objects are bound to the interaction with the DAL and depend on it. 
And with DDD, the models are completely removed from the concerns of creation and persistence. A repository is responsible for the retrieval and storage of an aggregate, and a factory is responsible for the creation of the valid aggregate. The aggregate itself knows nothing of its life cycle. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I mean, it's a, this is hard doctrine too. Mm-hmm. You know, to really get down and say, it's nice to say, yeah, we're going to use uh, a repository and a factory to create these things. But the idea that you, th- the complete abstraction of data entirely, is this is not that easy to do. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's why we have people like Julie and David on to, to tell us about it and keep our heads in, in the right place. Sure. And just this, you know, the other thing to think about with CSLA is it's been around a long time. Sure has. You know, long. And it's gone through many different data models, too. VB4. Yeah. Wasn't it VB4 when Something he started? Something like that, it? Yeah. yeah. Making the hop from 16 to 32-bit. Let's not even talk about 64-bit. <laughs> yeah. Stephen, thank you so much for your comment. .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via the other social medias. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Google+. Plus. We read everything. And if we can read it on the show, we will. And then we'll send you a mug. That's how it works. And that brings us to our guest today. David Rail is a dedicated father, a husband, a seasoned software architect and developer, and an ambitious Sith apprentice. Ooh, watch out. When he's not building distributed systems or growing in the power of the dark side, he's playing with kids, playing basketball, lifting weights, coaching youth sports, and attempting to optimize performance in all aspects of life. He blogs at optimizedprogrammer.com about writing software and rocking life, and is host of the Developer on Fire podcast at developeronfire.com. Welcome, David. Thanks very much, Carl. It's good to be here. You too, Richard. And uh, you've been a, a listener for a while. You said you've got a .NET Rocks mug yourself. Yeah, I've got actually two of them. I'm going to have to try to work on getting that third one, get the hat trick. <laughs> well, maybe it's time for a hoodie or something, but uh, <laughs> we can certainly help you there. Um, what did you think of the comment? Well, I think uh, it, it's it's interesting. And this this is uh, turns out to be a really good time to have this topic and to talk about this. Uh, just earlier this month on the uh, Software Engineering uh, Radio podcast, there was an interview with Eric Evans, and he was talking about uh, DDD at 10 years old and some of the things that he's learned and some of that stuff. And he really talked about kind of a de-emphasis of some of the uh, the building blocks and some of the uh, the, the real uh, the, the stuff inside of a bounded context, all of the details of the uh, aggregates and um, the the repositories and all of that stuff. So I think uh, that comment, I, I think it made a lot of sense and that uh, persistence ignorance is is really something to be strived for and a good thing. And, and um, you know, having a, a model that's that's free of those details is is a good thing. Uh, but I think there are really some, some bigger concerns about DDD. And I think getting uh, caught in the weeds of a lot of that stuff, um, while while it's relevant and, and important and, and informative, I, I think there's there's really kind of a, a bigger picture, a higher level picture that is probably a bigger piece of, of the value of, of DDD. So I would say I agree. Um, and I think CSLA, you know, I've, I've never really dug into it myself. I, I've, I've seen Rocky give a presentation on it. That's that's about the extent of, of, of my knowledge on it. But um, I, I think that uh, the, the comment was was well founded. Um, but I think there, there, are, there are some other things to think about with DDD that are probably more important. Do you think DDD started as a philosophy and then grew into uh, implementation details? 
I, I think it really is. I, I think uh, listening to what Eric has to say about it, I, I think that uh, whether whether it grew from a philosophy and Im- implementation or the other ways, maybe kind of a chicken or egg story. Mm. But um, I, I think the real uh, the the real virtue, the real value of it is is in the the philosophy. I, th- I think it's a lot more uh, philosophical than it is prescriptive. And do you see developers um, embracing DDD? I I don't see it as sort of on the lips of the developers that you talk to every day. It's the tend to be the the rock star guys that are you, you know uh, that want every tool and every optimization that go for DDD. Is that your experience too? You think a lot of developers might be afraid of it. I, I think that's that's probably true to an extent. I, I think there's another side to it. I think uh, a lot of people embrace a lot of the principles of DDD without actually naming it that. So I think that that goes. Uh, you know, I, the, uh, there earlier this month, or actually maybe it was last month, there was uh, at one of our uh, local uh, meetups here in, in Denver, the the Denver DDD meetup. There, we had a big discussion about uh, DDD in the business, and uh, Von Vernon was there. You know, I, I'm really fortunate to be here in the Denver area, having uh, access to, to a guy like Vaughn, who, who is you know, this international expert on, on DDD. Um, he, w- he was there, and he made the comment about bringing DDD to the business uh, about uh, a lot of the ideas and principles of DDD, that it's great to bring those things in. Just don't call it DDD, and you're going to have a lot more success with getting buy-in and, and getting <laughs> so, it done. Yeah, so what is it? Is when you, people hear DDD, they think, oh, I got to change everything that I do, right? Because it's a driven you know, it's something that's fundamental. Yeah, I, th- I think that's true. I, I guess that is kind of uh, all of these uh, DDDs, right? Another comment on that on that show with with Julian Steve was about you know, hey, there's all of these DDD practice, you know, ADD, TDD, <laughs> right? All <laughs> yeah, that yeah, stuff, yeah. Uh, which which I thought was kind of a clever comment, but um, it, it's. Uh, yeah, those things are intimidating because when when you say that you're using this thing to drive your your process, your design, your development, then that really does imply that you've got to buy into this thing whole hog and you've right. got to drink the Kool-Aid, I guess, kind of. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, because it is, you know, people are very zealous about it, right? And, Absolutely. And that's yeah. why, you know, we're afraid of them. <laughs> so I, yeah, just, definitely. let's start with the philosophy and maybe we can – work our way or back our way into why uh, the the things that we do technologically and architecturally support it. Well, so I, I think that uh, I, I guess Eric's quick uh, Eric Evans, that is who who wrote the book and, and is kind of the DDD guy, right? Um, his uh, quick description of it is to say that uh, DDD is a way of using models for creating software, mm. which I mean, it, it, at the heart of it, that's what we're all trying to do. Um, the the subtitle of the book I think is really neat too. Tackling complexity in the heart of software, uh, mm. which uh, obviously that's uh, that's core to everything we're trying to do, right? I mean, uh, yeah, the model is the heart of any software project. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know, DDD is really I, I think to me uh, I take away. Uh, kind of five key bullet points of, of what DDD is all about. And first and foremost, the, the thing that Eric really emphasizes as well, too, um, is the ubiquitous language. I think that is really the linchpin that brings together all of the value of DDD. And what's really meant by that is just getting your domain experts and your software experts together in a room and having conversations and learning to use the same vocabulary and coming to this place where you have uh, one set of conversations. Instead 
instead of having the domain conversation with the domain experts and then going away translating and, that yeah. And, and yeah turning that into software well we're, we're going to bring that all together and I, I think you know when, when you think a lot about it Eric's uh, points he, he has he, in, in one of the presentations that I, I saw you know it, it's out there it kind of his uh, at the five year mark after the book his what I've learned since the book presentation which, which is pretty easy to find if you google that thing uh, he had a set of bullet points and as I'm looking through these bullet points they kind of go one by one there's there's a, a correlation to agile right mm -hmm. all of the agile processes and everything that we're trying to do there yeah. is to 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 bring technical and domain people together right it's it's this yeah it sounds like to me that when you're talking to business people and man we've done so many shows on the disconnect between business people and technical people and they 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 always say the same thing they're like i'm not technical you know sure. but here's what i want you know and so it's almost like the technical people have to, at the same time, understand what they're talking about and at the same time, not spit it back to them in technical terms, which is what we tend to do, right? Because we're going over it in our head. We're like, oh, how does that translate into technology? Oh, we'll, we'll use one of these and one of these and one of those. And, and they go, yeah, well, whatever. I mean, I don't know. I'm not technical, right? Because so you can't have these technical conversations with business people that – it's almost like you have to bite your tongue, isn't it? I, I think it is. Yeah, and when you when we talk about this this concept of having the multiple DDs out there, right? Mm. I, I think of uh, DDD and BDD are really kind of a marriage made in heaven. It's it's right. really a like a glove situation because uh, they're both uh, all about uh, expressing the domain in terms that everybody can understand. And the B is just what the domain models do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so th this, uh, you know, th there was uh, a, a presentation that I saw recently with uh, another uh, DDD expert, Paul Rayner, who's uh, kind of one of Eric Evans's inner circle, you know, one, one of his guys that, that does a lot of his certified training and those kinds of things. He did a presentation on doing uh, BDD. And one of the kind of sticking points that a lot of people were kind of going back and forth with in this presentation and, and kind of some of the interaction was about uh, Paul asserting that you should be using domain terms to express your feelings features in, in when you're doing BDD, uh, as opposed to uh, user interface terms like clicking buttons, loading pages, and things like that. Mm. Um, and then you can take that even further, right? You shouldn't be talking about 200 response codes and technical details that nobody cares about unless they're they're a technical person, right? right. So th this, and, and by the way, it's it's always been funny to me that every, uh, every page not found page in the world says 404 on it. Why, <laughs> right? <laughs> you're communicating to the the person who tried to request this page that the page was not found yeah. they, they don't need to know about an HTTP status code right so uh, you know I think really the same thing with with both BDD and DDD right if you have these conversations and you're expressing things in the domain as the domain experts know it and instead of really talking about you know clicking buttons on user interfaces you're talking about uh, I'm paying an invoice or you know I'm I'm canceling an order th yeah. those kinds of things things that you would do if there was no computer there and you were uh, you know walking into the store and, and doing it, then, then you've really got something and you've got a place where you can communicate. Often, uh, that is the response that I give my wife when she asks me if I've cleaned the toilet, 404. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah, bad request. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's going to love me for that one. Love you, honey. What is the right thing to pop up for a user when the page isn't found? 
to me, I think page not found, right? Or you, you, you clicked a bad link or something that actually expresses that I couldn't find what you were looking for. Yeah. Oops. Where you expected to go. Oops. Yeah. Check that. I remember, I remember back in the past writing long error messages that were really friendly. Hi. I got bad news. <laughs> I know what you're working on was really important to you. And I feel really bad about this, but. It's not happening. <laughs> it's not you. It's yeah. me. Yeah, it's, it's totally me. I'm trying to be a better program, but it isn't working out so far. <laughs> Below, you're going to see a few buttons. I know they don't make a lot of sense. You can hit the retry button. It's very optimistic of you. There's almost no chance it's going to work out, but go ahead. Give it a try. You'll probably see this again. And if you do, let me apologize in advance. <laughs> That's great. You can try the cancel button. The cancel button is probably a pretty good idea because that'll just stop all this pain. And you can go get a coffee and come back later. <laughs> Write an error message. Yeah. yeah. Now that's an error message. Well, GitHub having the page with the the picture of the Obi-Wan Octocat saying, yeah. you know, this is not the page you're looking for. I think that, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome, actually. <laughs> and the Twitter fail well, right? Like th- things that have become iconic. Sure. Failures that have become iconic. I love it. So you start with talking to the business uh, and thinking about development in the in the language of the business. And that describes your models and then uh, the behaviors of those models with BDD, of course, Match Made in Heaven, which we talked about. Uh, how do we get from there to we need a repository and we need factories? Well, I think there's there's a, a few steps in between that, right? So right. before before getting into some of those implementation details, then I think what what BDD does really well, and I think a thing that needs to be emphasized a lot more than it is. Um, in, in fact, Eric in his um, in his both in in that uh, interview that I talked about earlier this month on Software Engineering Radio, and in his uh, you know his uh, what I learned since the the book, really his big sentiment about what he would change about the book is the sequence that he put this stuff about bounded contexts into chapter 14 and he really wishes that would have been into chapter 2 or 3 because the the order uh, really seems to give an emphasis to things in a way that he didn't really intend or, or maybe that he uh, would have intended now you know ha- had he known now what he knew uh, you know what I mean yeah uh, <laughs> had he known <laughs> Had he known then what he knows now, so um, that I, I think really the next the next big bullet point to me in DDD beyond the ubiquitous language and getting together on what you're talking about is this idea of composition of your domain and breaking things down uh, into uh, different pieces that are that are more manageable. And uh, talking to Udi Dahan, I think is really enlightening too because he takes this even further and that uh, talks about the the bounded context should be along business capabilities. And with his uh, with his take on service oriented architecture, he talks about um, uh, a service is the uh, uh, technical authority for a business capability. Hmm. Which I, I think, as, as I think about that definition, it just it, it appeals to me more every time I say it mm-hmm. that you've got the technical authority for a business capability. These are the dividing lines, the consistency boundaries, the the places in your system where you want to focus your implementation. And so once you've defined that you've got these different contexts inside of your system, then you can start diving into, well, how am I going to implement what's inside of those contexts? And Udi has a big emphasis on those contexts being autonomous. And so you can have completely different data stores, no dependencies, no um, no no uh, synchronous calls across these different boundaries and those things, which raises a, a, a whole other uh, set oh, of sure. questions about how do you approach that and all of those things. We've been which- talking about the actor model a lot lately, and that seems like a really good implementation 
uh, Absolutely. detail, you know, yeah. wait, a good architecture for this. Yeah, Von Vernon's got some really good materials on on the actor model, and he's really dug deep into that. But I mean, it, it's really uh, and yeah, I've heard some of your shows on Aka.net and some of that stuff, and mm. and yeah, that that's really appealing and something that I I really intend to get more into. We were just talking with Barry Briggs a couple of days ago, and uh, his uh, we we came to the conclusion that you know a service uh, is an instance that uh, services every client, right? And an actor is one per client or device. So you spin up multiple actors and each of them, those actors are stateful and they contain all the state that, uh, you know, that is a, such a problem in web-based and REST-based uh, systems. Sure. Yeah. And you, you start talking about all these different uh, takes on on what's essentially the same thing, right? And microservices has become the right. new uh, the new big architectural term these days. And right. uh, it, 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 at its core, all of these things it, it are about autonomy and, and breaking things down into yeah. to component pieces. Right. And it all comes back to bounded context in DDD to me. So mm-hmm. I, I think that really uh, that is probably uh, the next big takeaway from from what Eric Evans has given us is, is bounded context and, and an emphasis on really respecting those boundaries. Got it. Yeah, totally fair. And, uh, but, you know, it, you, when you see you talking to Udi, you're talking about service buses and just this separation of applications that things want to rev separately, want to be updated separately. So, of course, they're going to have separate stores. Like, you don't want it centralized on anything. Yeah, and I find that uh, really in in the past, before I came across Udi and a lot of what he was saying, and really my introduction to uh, DDD came through Udi, but uh, b- before that, my life was all about integration at the database level. And uh, boy, that, that was really the place where I felt the most pain in my life. I, I like to call that uh, uh, one database to rule them all. Right. right. And, and, and having this separation, and uh, Udi talks a lot about, do you really need consistency boundaries on, say, your marital status and your shipping address, right? If you've got <laughs> one customer row in the database, right, do, do, do you need to lock that thing if you're going to yeah. update, you know, those things that really have nothing to do with each other? Yeah. Well, and, and it, the longer I've been in data, and let's face it, I've been in data a very long time, the more I'm, I believe that updating anything is a mistake. Insert only. Because Absolutely. just because you moved doesn't mean that old address suddenly disappears. Yeah. You yeah. know, you still had stuff delivered to that address. So keep it. And that's where you start moving into the, the appeal of some things like event sourcing and some of this where, where you've got these uh, immutable events that are happening in your system and, yeah. and storing that state rather, or, or you know, the, the state of your application is really a sequence of events, a stream of events rather than being, uh, you know, being just the current snapshot of what's going on in your system. Yeah. No, very, very fair, right? That's, that's always the battle back and forth. And I'm not, uh, I'm not saying I have a definitive answer to anything. I'll let I, this that I'm more and more willing to look at different stores coming from a strong database background. I'm not, I'm not emotional about this. And it, it, it feel, I feel like we're in the weeds here kind of a, this is the plumbing of an implementation of an application. You know, at the same time you have this DDD, don't worry about the storage. That's a separate thing, you know, a separate concern entirely. We'll, we'll deal with that later. Mm. It also seems to me that, you know, once you have those design boundaries set, I mean, you're so far into just taking the basic principle of not repeating yourself and separation of concerns and all of that stuff ties into here. But you're so far ahead in your architecture that the rest of it becomes uh, implementation details. 
I, I think that's right. And really, that's what I like to look at in domain-driven design. And you can get into the repositories and all, all of that stuff that Eric uh, does give some advice about in the book. And uh, and I, I think most of that is really good advice and some ways of looking at things, right? Aggregates and, mm-hmm. and you know, having having this uh, this set of things that go together that, that form a consistency boundary where you're right. not going to be uh, – you, you can get into all kinds of problems with N plus 1 stuff when you're dealing with lazy loading and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. where if, if you deal with an aggregate and you just load that whole thing and, and you're going to have to deal with that whole thing, then you've got some optimization there. And there, there are a whole lot of arguments one way or another for all of these things. But I think that this, this top-level view of, of domain-driven design where you've got bounded context and then you know inside of your bounded context, you could take completely different approaches. And uh, it, you know in most big uh, operations, big systems, you might have completely separate teams working on different contexts in, inside of your thing. And I Ideally, uh, you know, I, I guess the next big bullet point that I take away from from DDD is the idea of a core domain, right? That, that once you've you've decomposed your your overall system into these individual contexts, that there's uh, one or some small set of of those domains that is really the thing that sets apart your business and the thing that that really delivers the value and that makes your business your business. And that's the place where it's best to focus your your most talented developers and the the the, the best design that you can. You can. I, I, I remember a quote somewhere, and I can't remember where I saw it. It might have been. It might have been in, in the DDD book itself, or I, I'm not sure. But you know, it was the statement that not all of a large system is going to be well designed. <laughs> like inevitably, there's just no way that you could be any other way. That, that's right. And so yeah, I think, you know, for, for some of the supporting subdomains that are around your core domain, the ideal is that you're not building that thing at all. You're, you're taking something off the shelf and, and plugging that thing in. Or, you know, at the very least, you're, you're, uh, you know, you're probably not devoting a, a, you know, a, a great amount of design to it, right? It's just using you know, some simple crud type of, of, uh, implementation and, and you're done with that thing and you can, you know, move on to the business of really modeling what really matters. Well, I mean, uh, most design is emergent. It's what you need. What the developer did at the time is the design. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, ra- it, it's only, you know, part of the job as an architect, at least, is to go through and figure out the parts that are hairy and pour your energy into designing those parts. Yeah, and that's one of the points that Eric made in his uh, in his presentation was that you know emerging your model and reshaping the ubiquitous language over time is a big piece of of DDD. Which right. you know when when I hear that I I hear agile, right? I mean you, you're you're iterating on the thing, and and there's not really much difference there. And you're going to find surprises and things. You know, there the nature of shipping an application is altering the business, which means the application which was modeled on the old business is now wrong. Yeah. You know? Yeah. In some respects, it's like, congratulations, you succeeded. Your software is no longer correct for the task. <laughs> you know? Now we That's have right. to, you know, make it, and, and it's an endless cycle. The more you alter the software, take advantage of the new business opportunities, the more the business opportunities will continue to evolve. Yeah, it's you, you've got one thing that influences another thing, and you've just got this this cycle of of just going back and forth, the, the business and the software influencing each other, and uh, it's kind of like Jedi mind tricks going back and forth, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, I think it surprises folks how much impact when you if, if you bother to do the ROI, and lots of people don't, how much impact software actually has on a business's ability to make money, how it, it, both the opportunity and the boundaries. 
Yeah, I remember working uh, in in a company where uh, the 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 core piece of the business was was this this algorithm for for for, for making selections about which customers were going to get which information, right? And uh, it got to the point where you know th- there were so many layers built upon this thing of of uh, you know different conditions and, and all these things that the only person that actually understood what the business was doing was the developer who mm. who'd gone in and, and made all these changes. Right, and yeah. so you know, you you get into a point where yeah, the 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 person that understands the business better than anybody else, you know, be, becomes a becomes a coder. So, is this a way to advance in the company? <laughs> As a developer, you want to move into management first. Oh, we're implementing DDD. <laughs> it's kind of well. I think. Yeah. In a lot of ways, DDD is the answer to that, where, where you're actually collaborating with business on these things instead of it just getting out of control. So yeah, I think that's, uh, that's a bit of a difference there. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is? Uh, must be that happy time again. That's right. It's time to announce David's new career help organization, the Denver Domain Driven Design Department of Devious Development Details. <laughs> otherwise known as D-D-D-D-D-D. <laughs> Can you just put a number? Was that D-8? I think that that's seven. Seven D-7, seven, okay. D-D-D-D-D-D-D. Actually, it's time to give away a D-Experience subscription from Developer Express, another D company. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation, touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. Our buddy, who's our winner? Today's winner is Kieran McIntyre. Our judge is Kieran. Golf clap for Kieran. Yes, I have a round of applause here. (laughs) How round is it? Uh, Not really. There's a couple plastic hands on either side of a plastic thing, and they smack back and forth. Nice. The clappers. The clappers. Actually, uh, if you don't know what we're talking about here, guess what? Kieran McIntyre just won a D-Experience subscription from Developer Express. That's a whole pile of awesome from them. And for more information, you can go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. and every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you got to sign up to win. And now it's your turn, Dave. What do you think you would buy with $5,000 today? Well, first and foremost, I think when I think about Hololens, I'm just I I have bladder control problems, right? So <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's you're a not, must. You're not alone. Yeah, it's how many Hololenses would you like? <laughs> so yeah, I, th- I think I need one of those, and then I'd probably just uh, get a little get a little more boring and kind of have the uh, the grab bag of devices, Wh- whatever's left, getting the uh, the the tablets of of various uh, makes and models and th- that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty much what everybody has opted for, a development rig of some kind, mobile Yeah, you can't go wrong. Yeah, you can't really yeah. go wrong with that. You really want an, a, you know, we in the past we've done a mobile rig and a gesture rig. Mm-hmm. Next is going to be the holographic rig for Windows 10 holographic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, by December, I got to think. Yeah, maybe. 
We'll see. Yeah, yeah. We hope. That might be what we're giving away at the end of the year. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Well, with the way Microsoft is moving these days, I, I, I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. The, the Therat was just out again saying Windows 10 is going to ship in July. So Yeah, that's what nice. I heard. End of July. Yeah, that'd be amazing. That's fast. That is fast. And then who knows with HoloLens? I mean, the, the thing they were demoing at Build, I don't think it was production hardware, but it was close. Well, if you think about what they have to do, they have to, they're relying on all these Windows 10 APIs. So that has to be built first. Yep. And they have to build an API on top of that, right? And then, um, you know, they have their, their version of Windows 10, which runs on the, on the device itself. So yeah, there's a lot of moving parts. I wouldn't be surprised if it's going to take a little while for HoloLens to show up after Windows 10. I'm not a mo, and you know, I'm not, I don't need, think it needs to run totally in the headset. Like I'm perfectly happy to have some of the device around for it too. You know, I'd hate to have that holding it back. Yeah. People were pretty impressed with it when it was just a headset with big cables running off it to other computers, right? <laughs> That's so. right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's all about the experience. And if, yeah, uh, just give it, me the experience. Chain me into a desk if I had to get it, but that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we start with the common language. We define our boundaries. We implement our models. And, uh, and what's the next part of it? Well, I think once, once we've defined that core domain and decided that that's where we really want to pour the majority of our resources. Core domain. Yeah. The, the next big thing that I, I think is really uh, a big takeaway is the idea of domain events. And uh, th this is really just, uh, you know, I kind of mentioned event sourcing before, which I think is a little bit of a distraction from from uh, what DDD is really about, although mm -hmm. it's really cool and really fun to, to think about and get your head around. But uh, the, the the idea that uh, I, I think Eric had a little bit in the, in the book, I don't think it was really well fleshed out, was the idea of domain events and the idea of uh, just notifying that something has happened in in your system, right? So events are, are a past tense, right? I, I have done something, right? right? I have destroyed a planet, you know, so, something like that. The, 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 uh, um, the, the, the notification that I have done something and that enables a lot of things. And I, I think really, um, if, if you look at what, uh, Udi Dahan, uh, really puts forth, uh, events are a great form of communicating between your different bounded contexts. And I think that, uh, using, uh, events as your, as your, uh, go between between those bounded contexts is really one of the the keys that uh enables his ideas about autonomy and not having uh dependencies going back and forth uh you know for, for having synchronous communication between the the bounded context so communicating with events and, and yeah. just letting the world know hey look look mom i have done this it's interesting again i'm reminded of the actor model which passes messages between actors to do things yeah. and you know what are events but messages Yep. You know, it's all it's all sort of um different takes on the same problem. It totally well, is. Yeah. And it I, I feel like the microservices slash actor model, these are the first tools and the first frameworks that really feel DDD savvy. Like tools meant to help you fall into the pit of success. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I, I, I don't know that, that really, um, microservices or, or the actor model or tool, although Akka is really, you know, very much an actor model tool. So yeah. I, I, I guess, you know, th that, uh, that makes sense there. Um, but yeah, I, th I think that's, that's really true that th these are, 
Um, and and really, Udi's uh, take on on SOA too. I, I think you know I'd kind of look at uh, Eric and what he's done with domain driven design as as sort of an interface that then these other guys are starting to implement a little bit. And you mm-hmm. know maybe they're they're kind of some abstract classes on top of this interface that then you go and do your implementation on top of these things. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I totally agree. So we have events and and. How how are those events typically implemented? Um, uh, are, do we have a lot of options? Um, depending depending on the platform we're on, we could we could do uh, your your essentially delegates, or we could if we're going across boundaries, we could use uh, you know simple REST calls. I suppose we could use uh, Signal R. I mean, I, I think it can be any of those things. Right. I, I think the, the ideal to me, and th- this is coming from kind of an Udi Dahan disciple is, is using message queues. Okay. Um, and really that's what gives you, uh, the easiest form of reliable, uh, durable asynchronous communication mm-hmm. that's not dependent on the other end of the communication being there at the time and all of that stuff. Um, so I, I, if you're using something RPC style where, where you're doing a rest call or, or something along those lines, you're going to be doing a lot of implementation of, well, what if this thing fails? And dealing with a lot of that kind of stuff. So uh, message queues are probably, um, all, I would say, almost always uh, the best choice for, for for dealing with those kinds of things, especially when you're talking about an event. that it is, it, It's not a, I'm requesting something, I need an answer back. It's just saying, hey, uh, something has happened that, that I know about, that I have done, and I know that you're interested. So here it is, and what you do with that is up to you. So is sort of end service bus the ultimate message queue for that kind of thing? I mean, we're talking Udi Dahan here, or is that well, overkill for what we're doing? I, I really have, uh, you know, uh, bought into to what end service bus is offering, and so yeah, I'm 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 a big fan of particular and everything that uh, everything that they're doing. So I, I think it is really um, a a good uh, choice. It's certainly not the only choice, and uh, implementing your own is is certainly a, an option too. But mm-hmm. I think that um, you know what uh, what Udi and his team have delivered is uh, it, it's it's really compelling. The only challenge I have with the messaging approach to all this is that your return path is completely different from your send path. Like, as soon as you get into all of these queued models, you send off a message to the queue, your only response is your message got to the queue. Right. The whole mechanism of, oh, I want stuff back, please. Like, this is a non-trivial chunk of code to get some kind of token identifier that you can pass along with it. Say, this is what, how I'll ask for my response and then go to a different channel entirely to say, hey, where's my response? Yeah. And I, I would say that, uh, you know, messaging is not for everything and, and message queuing is not necessarily for everything. And, uh, the ideal to me is that you're, you're only communicating via messaging across your domain boundaries, right. but within, within those domain boundaries, uh, those are the places where you've defined that, Hey, I do have some consistency boundaries in here. I do have some request response and I need to get an answer back and some of that stuff. Uh, so ideally, and you know, ideally is, uh, you know, seldom uh the what happens in the real world but you right. know in it, 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 it to, to me ideally you wouldn't be crossing domain boundaries with anything that requires a response but uh you know hey w- w- when you're inside of your own domain then uh, implement that thing as as you see best and this is something that jimmy bogart actually talks about quite a bit is uh that uh, when when you need to get a response on something, then uh, an RPC style communication makes a lot of sense because that's that's exactly what that's built for. Is, is yeah, for a and you're willing response. to wait. Yeah, 
You yeah. Know, that's, it's just a question of making waiting in, inexpensive, which is where all the async stuff comes from. But it's, it's a, if there's no reason to continue execution until you have a response, why are you queuing? Yeah, then then you just uh, start having more complexity in trying to handle, you know, the, the, that uh, connecting my request with my response. Then then you know the, the other side, which you know, there's a lot of complexity in. Well, what am I going to do if this thing fails? And how do I retry? And and all mm-hmm. of, how do I inform the user that it didn't work if I'm not going to just you know assume that it's going to work eventually? And some of those things. So uh, one way or another, you've got some complexity. And in you know, if the situation calls for getting a response, then it's probably less complex to just wait for the response. Yeah. Or you can, you know, the service bus has things that will will do that as well, right? I mean, in an asynchronous way. There, there are yes, there, there are features of of end service bus and and some other things to where you you can you know have have callbacks and and, and a lot of those types of things and right. and signal R you know like you said is, is is a pretty good choice for for you know depending on where in in your system you are right yeah, if, sure. if you're talking about events happening in a browser and things like that then uh, you know different choices for different places but sure um, so yeah, yeah in that pattern is I go get a token first this is how I'm going to communicate message related to this I then subs- go to the pub sub manager and say, I'm subscribing all messages for this token. And then you start passing one way requests up the queue using that token. Mm. And your responses come back in whatever order back onto the bus and you get events to handle. It says, okay, here's your response. You pull it off the queue. Yeah, and then that that ordering right becomes another issue in the complexity if if your if your order becomes something that matters. Yeah, dependency and order is an interesting problem. If you're going yeah. to be this async, I mean, this is really, really asynchronous oh, yeah. and completely yeah. independent. You don't know where stuff is. You don't care. Like this is the ultimate manifestation of, of separation concerns. And it means you have to deal with reality. You, it, you may have sent off 10 messages all to the same quote unquote service. Didn't mean the same machine, same location. You know, that's transparent to you. You don't know. You don't care. So sure. you can't count on order. Yeah, I think it really comes back to the subtitle again on on Eric's book, right? You want to tackle complexity in the heart of software. And if asynchrony uh, makes things less complex, makes it more straightforward, makes things easier to implement, easier to understand, easier to maintain, then then you know go for it that's 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 what it's there for um yeah. but if if it's presenting more problems and you're trying to work around those things then you know, you're you're just building a model that uh that is ultimately not serving you so you know it's choose the best uh the best approach for for the situation hmm. okay all right let's let's keep going down the stack here where we we've got our common language we've got service boundaries we've got the the core domain We've got communication with messaging. So I, I think uh, b- beyond that, then then there's really that that lower level architecture stuff, and that's right. where you start getting into uh, a lot of these things that happened earlier in the book, right? right? And they're, they're just they're, about they're, decoupling, really, right? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 uh, things about uh, you know things like persistence, ignorance, and and yeah. uh, it's really just all about uh, good domain design, and and that just gets really into the quality of your code, and the, these things are. Uh, you know, really recommendations for 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 how to to build clean code. And for, yeah, exactly. I mean, they don't necessarily follow into the domain driven part of it, but it's just seems they seem like good coding practices to me. 
Uh, ultimately, I think that's right, and th- yeah. they they are in Eric's book, and I, I think that um, you know, those things have been uh, synonymous with domain driven design, and I, mm-hmm. I think that's that's where a lot of people get um, some of the trepidation, right? Right, the th- thinking that you know if I if I want to take a domain driven approach, then uh, this this is really prescriptive on how I'm how I'm writing my code within these services, mm-hmm. and it can be right. I mean, you can say you know, hey, I'm I'm dealing with aggregates and, and aggregate routes and rep- repositories and, and do do those kinds of practices and uh, you know I'd argue that uh, in a lot of cases those those are the right choice uh, but sometimes those things are more complexity than what you really need to mm-hmm. so you know it, it's uh, you know the, the old architect answer of it depends right mm-hmm. um, so and I think that that's why Eric after the book has said that you know he, he would have moved those things back to later chapters in the book uh, and, and moved the the bounded context stuff up into, into chapter two or three is yeah. is because really you know Yes, th- th- those things are are um, you know uh, shouldn't be forgotten, and they should still be there. But uh, it's it's really uh, of of lesser importance than than having this uh, cohesive view of your system and and composing it into things that are more tackleable. I think the biggest challenge here for any developer is being able to dis- discover and create that common language. That yeah. uh, you know, I mean, that's an age old problem, and I've, I've talked about it before. I'll talk about it till I'm blue in the face. It's an age old problem of, of how we communicate with business people and how we, how they communicate with us, right? They really try to come to the technical table. And, yeah. you know, it's almost a relief for them to say, nope, we're going to speak in your language, in your language only. And we're we'll the make, smarter ones. Yeah. We'll make your language our language instead of the other way around. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's absolutely right. Uh, you know, um, Matt Wynn uh, in the cucumber book, uh, and and, uh, and and Oslock, I, I, I'm going to say that name wrong. I probably shouldn't even try. But <laughs> the, the authors of the cucumber book, right? They they, they had a piece in there about um, the, uh, the the people who should be writing the features when when using behavior driven design is the three amigos, and mm-hmm. that, that it should be the the, the combination of, um, of of the the developer, the the quality professional, and the uh, you know and the domain expert. All together, uh, coming together to describe what these features should be, so that they can, uh, you know, bring all of those different perspectives to the table and, and describe what it is that the system is supposed to do. And th- that just, to me, uh, has has always appealed to me. And, and I think that really is, uh, it, it's it's hard, right? It, it's hard expressing uh, what exactly you want the system to do, and it's it's hard understanding that. And it's, uh, yeah, th- that really is the biggest challenge. In, in I imagine that you get called in on projects that have been uh, completely buggered up, you know, and uh, you, you they call you in to give them some guidance and help them back out of the corner. Where in this list of, of uh, let's just say, steps or requirements do people most go wrong? Well, I think it's a uh, it's sort of a conspiracy of of bad as far as defining what it is that the system is supposed to do, right? I mean, you've got uh, domain experts yeah. who come to the technical person saying, you know. Hey, I need a you know an application that is running on the iPad, and you should be using Swift to write it, and yeah. you should be using a document database, right? And right. Yeah, I'm, I'm exaggerating yeah, a little yeah. bit there, but you know it, they're coming with that solutions a lot, right? rather than trying to describe the problem, yeah. right? And the technical person at the same time is then saying, well, you know, you. you I, 
you think that that's good, but here's here's something better. And right. instead of just trying to hear what is it that that the problem that we're trying to solve, right. it's kind of these these competing solutions, right? It, it's yeah. kind of uh, uh, this this uh, collaboration of just uh, building um, you know uh, epicycles of uh, <laughs> on top of each other of of trying to to scale a mountain. What could uh, go when, wrong? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Instead of just saying you know what what is the problem we're trying to solve here? Right. So I think that that's really. Um, but it's almost become a cliche thing, right? Like that's almost like throwing a grenade into a room. Anytime you feel like you haven't talked long enough in a meeting, just you say, you know, what do we think the problem is we're trying to solve here? Watch everybody go around in circles for a while. And use the word actually, because yeah. that makes, <laughs> makes everybody happy. In reality. What is yeah. the actual, you know, everything you've been talking here has been fantasy. Now bring it to reality for me. Nice. Yeah. And I think this bounded context issue is the big one because the book's not really clear and, I'm just poking around a bit, like looked at Martin Fowler's explanation of bounded context. Like, there's no easy, hard, fast definition of what a bounded context is. I, I think that's right, and I think that's why uh, there's so much value in listening to people like Greg Young and and Udi Dahan and and mm-hmm. some of these, you know, and, and and Martin Fowler and and some of his group with with microservices and that stuff. Some of these, um, you know, kind of what I'm calling the abstract class on top of this, where there's a little bit more guidance, a little bit more uh, prescription, a little bit more talking about well, w- what is a bounded context. Right. So that's uh, some interesting questions. And and I always come back to to Udi's definition, right? A service, which, you know, that's a term I hate. And, you know, same thing with microservices. It is, it's just so overloaded and and you don't know what anybody's talking about when they say service. Right. But when Udi defines service as, and and I I use that synonymously with, with, uh, with bounded context, it is the technical authority for a business capability. And I, I think if you couch it in those terms, and if you think about, well, you know, what are the pieces of my business that I'm trying to solve? You can start to uh, think about some boundaries about around that. And if you start thinking about, well, what are the responsibilities of my system? And you're grouping like things together. And uh, one of the things Udi recommends too is not giving names to your services right away or your mm-hmm. bounded context, right? Mm-hmm. The, you've got the, the green service and the yellow service and you're, you're just grouping capabilities underneath these things. And then the names emerge as, as you're going along when you kind of see what it is that this thing actually does. It really does. almost takes intuition to know where to draw the lines around those contexts doesn't it? I, I think intuition and experience, really. Yeah. I mean, the, the more you do it, the, the, the more you and get one comes from the it. other. I mean, you get more intuition, the more experience you have. And you can yeah. sort of smell where the boundary is, yeah, which is yeah. not a good thing to tell a junior developer. Just go smell around and, you know, you'll find it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah. that's true. And, and it's, that's why it's such, so important to be really a, a team collaborative effort yeah. and, and, and an iterative, iterative approach as well. What was the uh, craziest uh, system you ever had to untangle. You don't have to name names, of course. Please don't, actually. But, uh, <laughs> well, I, I think the, the 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 biggest challenge that I ever faced was um, working for a business that was um, a uh, combination of several businesses that had all been acquired, and trying to make sense of all of these different implementations of similar things that were uh, the same but different, and you know different tech stacks, different uh, forms of communication, and all these thing, different things, and trying to to bring that together in, into into something cohesive. And so it was it was an exercise in uh, integrating these things and getting them to communicate, and gradually trying to move onto something more uniform and. and and trying to bring those things together. And so that, that was probably the biggest uh, 
were they all in the same domain at least? Yes. Well, yeah. It, it was, it, it was all <laughs> the same domain. So yeah. And, and I mean, really similar businesses that were doing very much the same thing, but uh, as you can imagine, very, very different implementations, very different terminology. And right. So when you talk about ubiquitous language, that was kind of one of the, the first hurdles was, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, this term in this business means the same thing as this one over here, but over here, it means something the same, but a little bit different with subtle, you know, uh, nuances across different things. Have you so ever revealed through the business model and understanding of it that, that a business decision was bad and, you know, reveal that to a manager and then, you know, it's said, <laughs> you know, like I can imagine you say, Hey, why are you doing this when this thing is doing the same thing? They're doing the same thing. Why did you buy that? And they go, uh, well, I think that is a, a big part of, of DDD is not only getting your tech people to understand the domain so that they can model it, but uh, getting your domain people to actually understand it better, right? If, if they right. can communicate the thing and, and in, in the attempt to communicate it, well, they're going to be refining their understanding. That's something sure. that Richard was talking about a little bit, right? You know, it's kind of this, this back and forth and this, uh, this uh, evolving of not only the, the software, but of the domain itself. Yeah, sure, sure is interesting. And it, I can see just from a business standpoint why, why it makes a lot of sense. Are there business people that learn how to develop models that closely resemble software? I mean, you talk about cucumber and things like that, but, uh, uh, do you find a lot of business people are doing the actual modeling? I think there's varying degrees of that. Yes, there there are some people who uh, I, I think you know maybe in another life may have been developers, right? And that that really embrace that um, that idea of the three amigos and that that you know, this this feature in in the Gherkin syntax, which you know I'm, I'm kind of venturing away from from really the core of what we're talking about, but yeah, yeah. Uh, you know expressing this feature is something that comes really naturally, and they embrace that and take to it. Um, so I, I have seen that where it really worked. Uh, you know. I was talking to a friend here a couple of weeks ago, and he was just saying how you know this this interaction, this team collaboration on building up these these features uh, is something that he hadn't ever really seen. Mm. And you know, I, I had to agree that it, it's pretty rare that 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 really happens the way that it's described in the cucumber book. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, yeah, th there are those business people that that will really take to uh, you know th th this thing. And I think when when they start to see, hey, you know, that we've defined this feature with with its scenarios and you know all of these use cases for what the thing's supposed to do and now i can see those things as unimplemented and then start to see them come alive and start to see some failing tests and start to see some passing on on these features uh, it can be really exciting and really engaging and and i i have seen people you know some business people that really uh dig into that and really uh you know you say you've seen some but like what what is the you know percentage of those who do it well and those who don't what's uh, the, it's yeah. it's small it's yeah, yeah. It, it's really it's for for the the full engagement and really really getting it going and I, I think part of that is just not necessarily uh, seeing the entire life cycle and, and seeing it all the way through. I, I do know I, I was talking to some developers at a place that I used to work here a couple of weeks ago, and they were talking about some of the some of the things that I had really tried to to get to take hold in that place that they were actually delivering the value that that I had kind of foreseen and and was, was trying to get and man that was that really uh, you know. Uh, made the sunshine on my day that day. It was, it was really neat to hear that. So I, I think that, you know, in a lot of cases, uh, some of these things start paying off, you know, uh, down the road after, you know, perhaps after, after you're gone from, yeah. from, from, from a situation even. 
All right, David, one more question, and this is out of left field. What, what, uh, what got you started in this business? In uh, software itself? In software, or? yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's an interesting question. So uh, I, I didn't uh, do computer science uh, in my undergrad in college. I actually did later go back and get a master's in computer science. But uh, wow. I, I got a degree in physics, and uh, I decided I wanted to teach. So I was doing a teaching licensure course. And uh, the... the uh, uh, I, I did all the classes except for student teaching, and they told me that while you do student teaching, you can't have a job. And I was like, well, you know, maybe I'll put off student teaching and get a job for a while. And uh, you know, that that happened to be 1999 when you know, if you had a pulse, you could get hired as a programmer. And so <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it was kind of happenstance that uh, you know I was looking for a job, and 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 I found one, and it was writing code, and yeah. you know, it was kind of learn on the job kind of a thing. And uh, you know, here, uh, gosh, a decade and a half, maybe two decades later, it's. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's become something that I really love. Never did your student teaching thing, huh? That's right. Never did go back to that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a great story. And, and man, I really, really appreciate you going through the, uh, the whole process of DDD with us and going deeper. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. Well, thanks. Yeah, I've, I've had a good time with it. And I think it's kind of a, a view of it that, that hasn't, I, I don't really see in a lot of places. Yeah, I agree. All right, dear listener, we'll talk to you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got transmitter bands by the FCC. Yes, I'm a dog.